This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? It's Rich. My Take Radio, episode 132 for Thursday, March 22nd, 2012. I was originally going to start this week with a little chocolate rain at the request of Josh, but unfortunately things didn't work according to plan, so I had to instead break out the Brodus Clay, which is fine. He wasn't on Raw this week, but I figured it would be a, uh, a nice gag for you guys. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347 347- Three two four three five four one. If you want to leave any comments on the feedback line, three four seven eight one five zero six eight seven three four seven eight one five zero MTR is the feedback line. Let's get some housekeeping out of the way. We got a ton of content on the site this week. Um, a lot of great stuff from all of our MTR staff. Uh, reviews from John Blade, Quark, stuff from Slick. Andrea put some stuff up. I put some content up yesterday, and we may have a new writer probably starting next week. Be on the lookout for that as well. We're also going to have some stuff from Ben in the coming weeks, especially with the Ultimate Fighter going on. We're probably going to have Ben's Fighter of the Month also getting showcased in the coming weeks, so be on the lookout for that as well. The Facebook fan page, our goal, hitting 3,000 by the end of the month. Uh, a uh, A little bit off, but that's okay. We're going to get our hustle on. Make sure to increase those numbers ASAP. Uh, PAX East is next week. Unfortunately, MTR will not be there, but our partners at Unveil will be hitting up PAX East in Boston, and they will be representing MTR, handing out a couple of MTR flyers and some swag out there for people at the PAX East convention. If people want to check out MTR at the PAX East booth, make sure to look for Unveil. Once I get a press release, I will publish it on the site. And you guys can check that out as well. Our content partners, of course, at MMA Valor are always putting out some great stuff. Make sure to check out MMA Valor to get all your latest MMA news from our buddy Josh over there. Also, make sure to check out his show, which I believe is Wednesdays at 1 a.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. East. Once I get that up, I will throw the link in the show notes. I don't have it in front of me, but it will be there as well. As you heard in the pre-roll, you can catch MTR on the Stitcher network. I just found out that there's uh, something going on. There's actually two feeds for My Take Radio on there. You have the 96K Stereo Awesome feed, and then you have the shitty Blog Talk Radio feed as well. So for those of you that are getting the show via the Blog Talk Radio feed, please make sure to look and get it off the official feed, which should have all of the exclusive content in there as well. I was made aware of that yesterday, and I'm going to be contacting Stitcher to remedy that situation. If you are using Stitcher, make sure to use the MyTake promo code. You'll be eligible to win a $100 gift card, courtesy of MTR and Stitcher as well. You can also get MTR from the usual places, iTunes, 
Mixler, all over the place. Most of the stuff I'll just throw out at the end of the show only because, for some reason, it's just been a very uh, rattling day for a couple of reasons. But nonetheless, I did want to take a moment and break out that our T-shirts, I think I'm going to probably pull out, pull off the old designs only because the new designs look ridiculously awesome. Hopefully, we'll be able to put them up by the end of the month, I hope. With that said, all I have to say is one of them involves Booker T, so we will leave it at that. Um, the next thing, a lot of people have been asking, when are we going to get guests? Guests have been a little quiet as of late, only because I'm just trying to focus on MTR 4.0, amongst other things. So that's been kind of on the back burner, but rest assured, we will be getting guests probably next month once the PAX East situation uh, settles down. I'm sure that our partners at Unveil will do a call-in live from PAX East probably that Thursday before. So we will be doing that. Of course, you can get stuff for MTR Behind the Mic and MTR Beyond the Mic from the My Take Radio apps. Make sure to get those in iOS or in the Android Marketplace as well. All right, tonight's topics, I'm going to do something I haven't done in a while. We're going to talk about the TNA pay-per-view, which I'm just going to dig out of the crates for once because it seems that ever since Vince Russo departed, um, things are working a little better than expected. Huh. Slick is telling me that for some reason... But it's a Slick, this is a quick test. Can anybody hear me? Anybody in the chat, can you hear me? I know I hear you. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, Blog Talk Radio decided to fuck with us today, so, yeah. I don't know if they can hear in the chat, but I can hear you fine. I um I thought there was something wrong with my phone. I called in, and I didn't hear anything. I hung up and called again. In the chat, they can hear me. Can you guys hear Rich, too? Yeah, it seems that uh, De Silva says that he can hear us. So uh, let's get this fucking show on the road. All right. I'm going to log off. All right. Anyway, before Blog Talk Radio decided to shit the bed, which I will edit and post... I don't know how much of my shit you guys heard when I started the show. I'm not going to repeat it. Um, You guys can catch it in the archive. As I was saying, tonight's topics, I'm actually going to talk about the TNA pay-per-view for once. We're going to talk Monday Night Raw. We got some movie news. We got a whole bunch of other stuff going on as well. So let's get right into it. I actually have a monologue for this week, which was actually very funny. I figured you guys would appreciate this, but before I start, I got to give a shout out to Rob's Cookies for actually winning a couple of ribbons. Our buddy Rob, one of our listeners, Dark Helmet, is a uh, extremely awesome cookie baker, so props to him for winning some ribbons. Figured I'd throw him a shout out. He always supports the show. Look for Rob's Cookies on Facebook. Let's talk about this week's monologue and the fact that some people shouldn't be allowed to fucking reproduce. And, um... This is the funny thing. I go to Starbucks usually every day on my lunch break or later on in the afternoon to pick up the the biggest green tea that there is only because I'd like my heart to explode and to have energy for the show. So I decided to go a little later than usual and there was a lady there with a kid, probably no more than 12 years old, this little bastard was online with his mother 
I am one customer behind them. There's one customer between myself and the devil spawn and his mother. So while she is ordering, this kid is legitimately tampering with all the food that Starbucks puts out. It's pretty much there's an open counter. You got some yogurt, some salad and shit. So this little waste of sperm is going through these yogurt jars and he's like messing with the salads and shit. So I look at him and I go, hey, don't be an asshole and tamper with the food. People do have to eat this shit. Oh, sorry. So the lady, clearly oblivious because she was too busy getting her super mocha, trenta latte, whatever the fuck, looks over. She asks him, what did I say to him? The kid goes, nothing. And I go, no, it wasn't nothing. Your kid is an asshole, and he take, he's taking it upon himself to touch food and tamper with food that people are going to eat. I don't know what fucking diseases your kid has. Please pay more attention. She's like, oh, my God, is that true? He's like, I didn't open anything. And, he, and I'm like, yeah, you did. You were messing with the fucking salads and with the yogurt. So the person behind the counter from Starbucks had to come out take all the shit that he touched and throw it away. So he cost Starbucks money, and of course, I don't know if the fucking little kid was was jerking off in the bathroom an hour ago to come and touch a yogurt or a salad that somebody's gonna eat. Yo, I swear, people are true pieces of shit. And I told her, your kid is an asshole. And she she really didn't get mad. Here's the Here's the worst part. If I call your kid an asshole, I expect you as a parent to either reprimand your kid or get mad at me for calling your kid an asshole of which none of the none of these things happened on the contrary she grabbed her kid and he left so this little motherfucker probably cost starbucks thirty dollars putting his grubby little ball scratching hands on anything i i could have i could have grabbed this little 12 year old kid folded him up and shoved him straight back up his mother's snatch right into the uterus put the motherfucker back in there maybe while you're in there you'll learn some manners it's fucking disgusting disgusting it doesn't beat the second thing that happened which i forgot to mention last week which is walking through a mall with my wife and, you know, they're, they're the typical mall kids that hang out in there, they're, they're existing in every mall and everywhere. It's not just white America, folks, so it's not a racial thing. But these three particular kids were sauntering through the mall. This kid proceeded to walk towards me, not move out of the way, lift his leg and fart. He proceeded to eat my shoulder into his chest to move him out of the way, to which he was like, oh, sorry. And I'm like, really? You lifted your leg and farted in a mall? You nasty motherfucker, you. I don't wish anything terrible on anyone, but I really wanted him to get hit by a bus when he walked out. Who does that shit? How are people raising you motherfuckers, especially you young motherfuckers? And it's not even me saying it because I'm in my 30s. I'm just saying it because every one of these younger kids that I see nowadays is just fucking gross, unfit pieces of shit. Simple as that. I see way too many of them. How do you walk through a mall and blatantly lift your leg and fart? You gross piece of shit. Why, why the fuck isn't Coney snatching up these motherfuckers? Ugh.
nasty, nasty pieces of shit. But um, in some in, in some other news that are totally unrelated, but I find it completely amusing. Um, I don't talk about sports much. I don't follow sports to the extent where I go fucking crazy and jizz in my pants about it. But here in New York City, we have Jeremy Lin, who plays for the New York Knicks. And ever since he started playing and the team started going doing well, everyone's talking about Lin's sanity and people are going crazy. And, you know, everybody has a lot of love for the Asian guy around here, which is cool, whatever. I've seen him play. He plays good. I, watch, I actually watched a couple of basketball games. Great. So it seems that we decided to get Jesus' quarterback, Tim Tebow, to play for the New York Jets, which uh, it, pretty much is the, is the second-tier team in New York City, depending on who you ask. I'm not going to get into arguments about Jets or Giants, Mets or Yankees. I really don't give a fuck because that's, that's how I feel about sports. I watch it. I have too short of an attention span. But anyway, it seems that Tebow Jesus um, is playing here in New York now with the Jets, and he's playing second banana to Mexican quarterback Mark Sanchez. I say that because I always like to acknowledge that he is brown. Anyway, the whole, the whole gag that I wanted to talk about it is the fact that nobody's talking about whether the guy can throw the ball or not or whether he's a good football player, everybody's hung up on the guy being religious because he prays and he gets down and he does the fucking Tebow pose, which every time I see somebody doing it in public, I wish to God to throw a bag of AIDS at them. But that's not the point. The point is that nobody's talking about this guy as an athlete. They're busy talking about him as like a religious figure, like he is the the end-all, be-all of the, of the sporting community. And, and whatever, you can... You can take it that route if you want, but but please, must it be on every fucking channel? Must it? Every channel, every website that, that covers some kind of sports is talking about Tim... Now it's Tim Sanity and Tebow Mania. Who gives a fuck if the guy prays? So what if he's a virgin? Fuck him. If he gets New York another championship, I don't give a fuck what he does. He can dress up as a priest and rape fucking kids. Win us a championship, and maybe we'll let it slide. Maybe you could let Rex Ryan rub your feet. I don't give a shit, but please, I don't want to hear about T-Bow, T-Bag, T-Bowing. Fuck that shit. Who gives a shit if he prays? Keep that shit off of my fucking papers and out of my fucking news. Just let the guy play. Seriously. I'm not even I'm not even going on this tangent for the sake of, of, of pop culture references. It's just because that's all I've seen this week. I really don't care. If the guy's a virgin, if, if, if the guy sits there and fucking stares at naked pictures of Miley Cyrus, I don't give a fuck. Keep it to yourselves. Yuck. Anyway, I'm not going to beat that shit up any further because obviously we got Lynn Sanity, Tim Sanity, Yellow Sanity, White Sanity. We got fucking 12-year-old kids who are nasty, farting white kids in the mall, etc., etc., etc. I'm not going to fucking beat this up. I'm going to get right into MMA because we got the Ultimate Fighter, which is now live, and it's actually been rather enjoyable. So, let's get it started. Alright, so... Rather than go through the typical shit of 
recapping the Ultimate Fighter and all the, the, the bullshit that goes on in the house. I'm just going to start giving a, 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 a broad stroke approach to it only because nobody cares about what the fuck happens. People care about who gets punched in the face and who wins. Anyway, you got your teams for Team Faber and Team Cruz. You got Justin Lawrence for Team Cruz, Sam Cecilia, Miles Jury, Mike Rio, James Vick, uh, Vink Pichel, Chris Tickle, and Jeremy Larson are on uh, Dominic Cruz's team. For Team Faber, you got Ali Akinta, Cristiano Marcelo, uh, Darren Kriukshank, Joe Proctor, Mike, Ch- Mike Chesa, John Coffer, Andy Ogle, and Chris Saunders. Those are your those are your teams. First fight for this episode was was James Vick versus Darren Crickshank. I'm I'm probably gonna bludgeon this poor guy's name. First round of the fight opened up really good. A lot of exciting action to start things off. All of a sudden, though, it just took a turn for the worse as James Vick introduced his knee to Darren Crickshank's jaw, and he was out like a light. That was it. It was ridiculous. Sick KO to welcome in the season. Um, very, very impressed with the with the early stage of the fight. Some good exchanges, some good combos, but like anything else, you can you can get caught at any time. Vic definitely super aggressive, dangerous striking. Very impressed. One of the things I've been enjoying about the Ultimate Fighter Live now is the fact that. They do add a little bit of storytelling and a little bit of drama into the mix, but it's not to the point where it detracts from the fights, especially because it makes the fans excited because they know that what's coming is going to be totally unexpected because it's live. It was fantastic. The The, the vicious knee knockout was a, a great uh, measuring stick for the season, and I can only hope that the fights continue to be just as exciting, especially with the fights that they had to get into the house there's a lot of expectations, and I had some reservations about this new Ultimate Fighter for that reason, but it seems that it's starting to hit its stride. I don't know how I feel with, with Faber and Cruz coaching. I don't feel that they have, not screen presence, but they just don't have the energy that's going to make people give a fuck about the coaches. It seems that this time the fights are being sold by the athletes and not by the coaches, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Let's get into the other MMA news. Uh, Rampage, as I mentioned, was scheduled to face Shogun. Seems it's not happening. He has to get surgery on both knees. So, as of right now, that match is on hold. UFC officials haven't said anything further about it, but I think that it would be a great way to close out Rampage's career facing Shogun. Simple as that. Next thing I wanted to talk about was Nick Diaz. Of course, many of you know Nick Diaz was suspended by the California State Athletic Commission because of the marijuana metabolites he tested positive for. Excuse me, not California, Nevada State Athletic Commission. Anyway, his lawyer recently spoke to MMA Junkie, and there's a very interesting loophole that it seems they're trying to exercise to make Diaz's suspension stick. And it's the following. According to what's been said, Nick Diaz has a medical marijuana card. But Ross Goodman maintains that that does not constitute a prescription. And that Nick Diaz did not lie when he checked no on the questionnaire that asked if he'd taken or received any prescribed medications two weeks before the fight. 
Goodman went on to say, the fact that they're falling back on this now is significant because you would think that they would respond to stuff that we argued in the response, which I think is basically irrefutable. Goodman went on to say that the discipline, um, excuse me, the disciplinary action between, um, wow, I ate that word like fucking Pac-Man, disciplinary, excuse me, is excessive given the fact that marijuana is not a performance-enhancing drug. I, I have to be honest and say that marijuana is really not a performance enhancer. On the contrary, you would think that marijuana would make you a shittier athlete. So I, I really can't stand behind this particular, well, this particular penalty only because it's not steroids, it's not um, testosterone replacement therapy, it's not growth hormones, it's weed. He's a pothead. The only thing he'd be guilty of is eating too much and not making weight, which is not the case. But unfortunately, it seems that the Athletic Commission is not fond of athletes smoking trees. So this is going to be a, a lengthy fight. And honestly, I think that the way that this fight, the, the way this hearing plays out is going to dictate whether any other athletes that partake in smoking weed are going to be held accountable down the road as well. Honestly, like I said, it's not performance enhancing. I consider it to be utter bullshit. But hey, who the fuck am I? I'm not a medical professional to say anything. But seriously, weed, improving performance, fuck out of here with that. All right, we got some UFC matches that have started to take shape. First off, it's been announced that verbal agreements are in place for Clay Guida to meet Gray Maynard for the main event of UFC on FX4. Rich Franklin will be meeting Kung Lee at UFC 148. It's been said that Guida versus Maynard will be a five-round fight. UFC on FX4 will take place June 22nd in Atlantic City. Wow, three days before my birthday. While UFC 148 will go down July 7th in the Las Vegas um, MGM Grand, uh, uh, excuse me, MGM Grand Arena. So, with that said, we got a couple of great fights with that on the UFC 148 card. Franklin and Lee, Tim Bocek and Michael Bisping was added to that card. Uh, Henan Barrow and Jeff Holland and also Dominic Cruz and Uriah Faber will be headlining that card. It was also announced that Tito Ortiz will be facing Forrest Griffin. This will be Tito Ortiz, his retirement fight, which regardless of how you feel about Tito Ortiz, whether you like the guy or you hate the guy, I think he's given a lot to this sport. He's a great ambassador for the sport. And quite honestly, he's a he's an, he's a very polarizing personality because the people that I know that follow mixed martial arts either really hate him with a passion or enjoy what he's brought to the sport. Fact is, Tito Ortiz has a great career post-UFC, whether it's um, shilling punishment athletics or being an analyst for any MMA broadcast, whether it's Inside MMA, which he's done very well with, or for the UFC as well. I think he has a great future as a color commentator. He knows a lot about the sport. He's he's well-spoken when need be. He knows how to sell a fight. It's unfortunate that he's fallen so far, but I think this fight with Forrest, as, as much as people are saying it's going to suck or it's going to be boring, blah, 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 I think... Um, Needless to say, he, he you know, it, it's going to be a, a sad night 
regardless of whether you love the guy or you don't, strictly for the contributions to the sport. Nothing beats his feud with Ken Shamrock, which, in my opinion, put the ultimate fighter on the map, especially during that season when it was, you know, Ken Shamrock screaming at him and, you know, Tito Ortiz clowning him every chance he got. It's going to be a great way to close out his career. Would I have done it against Forrest Griffin? No. I think Tito Ortiz really deserved uh, a better opponent, but fuck it. I'll take Forrest Griffin. Forrest Griffin's a fun guy to watch. But um, there you have it, folks. Also, Dana White was in Calgary this week announcing a ton of news. First off, those of you that live in Canada, especially our very own uh, De Silva, who is from Toronto, I believe. There's, there's a lot to look forward to. July 21st, the UFC will be at the Calgary Saddle Dome. Jose Aldo will defend his title in the main event. No opponent has been named for that. September 22nd, they'll be in Toronto. November 17th, they will be in Montreal. As of right now, the the big get is going to be the return of George St. Pierre. We shall see if that happens. He also said during the press conference that he intends to do shows in Calgary, Toronto, and Montreal in 2013 as well. All three shows are going to be pay-per-view events. Um, the show in Calgary is going to be UFC 149, Toronto will be UFC 152, and Montreal will be UFC 154. Dana White also announced that there will be the rematch between Anderson Silva and, and Chael Sonnen. That will be happening at UFC 147 in Rio. This particular event has a lot of significance because it will be held in an 80,000-seat soccer stadium. Originally, they were scheduled to do it in Sao Paulo, but they decided instead to do it in Rio. That's going to be taking place either June 16th or June 23rd, and will also probably probably be co-main evented by the Ultimate Fighter Brazil coaches Vitor Belfort meeting Vanderlei Silva, as well as the finals for that show as well. The UFC is doing this event at the arena because they're looking to break their MMA attendance record, which was originally set at UFC 129, which had 55,724 fans in 2011. I think that if Chael Sonnen wins that belt in Brazil, he's going to need to get helicoptered out of there because those Brazilians are going to go crazy and probably kill him. But who knows? That's probably going to be a fight that I will be ordering immediately, only because the significance of that fight from a historic standpoint, but also because Chael Sonnen is going basically into the lion's den is going to make for excellent television. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up the MMA news. I'm going to take a commercial break. When we get back, we got some wrestling right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in, like, really high voices, like... (laughs) Well, you won't listen to that on our show because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. Yes, sir, we promised you a great main event here tonight. Look at that here. Andre, the giant WrestleMania. Everyone has a price. Rest. We want 
the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! There you have it, folks. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga, according to Booker T. Let's get into Monday Night Raw because, of course, we start things off with CM Punk coming out, cutting a promo, Chris Jericho talking about CM Punk's dad, his sister, drugs, blah, 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 blah. Moving on, we know that this shit is getting realer by the week with these two. I think that this is going to be the sleeper match of WrestleMania that's going to be fantastic. But between The Rock and Cena and Triple H, Shawn Michaels' hairline and The Undertaker's baldness, it seems to have gotten lost in the shuffle. But hey, I'll take what I can get. I think it has great build, but that's just me. Some people disagree, but fuck it. I enjoyed the segment. First match of the night, Kane took on the big show. Cody Rhodes got involved. Kane won via shenanigans. Typical lumbering big man match. Take it for what it's worth. Next, we got David Otunga, who swears he is chiseled out of granite. He is actually chiseled out of Jennifer Hudson's shit. But that's just my opinion. David Otunga took on Santino. Of course, we had some shenanigans as well. Otunga wins. Etc. Teddy beats up fucking Johnny Ace. It was bullshit. Rock comes out, has his little video promo talking shit about John Cena as usual. We got uh, some old main eventers being referenced by The Rock in this promo, including Stone Cold Steve Austin, Macho Man Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, and of course closing out with a little bit of Rocky quoting. Again, a nice, a nice uh, little promo from The Rock, but. It just feels recycled for a lot of reasons. I don't think that he's coming in there doing his thing, but um, it is what it is. Anyway, next up, John Cena. uh, Not not John Cena and Mark Henry. Before that, we had Daniel Bryan taking on Zack Ryder. Zack Ryder continuing to get buried. Why they had this match with Bryan, I have no idea. Bryan went in there, made, made short work of Zack Ryder, and I continue to question the logic of WWE's booking because Zack Ryder's a guy that you can really get the crowd behind. They love him. They love to cheer for him. He has great chance. His mic work is good. He's got a huge internet following. You can do so much with him, and it just seems every week they continue to shove their boot in his ass. I don't know what to make of it, but some people are in agreement with how he's being booked, and they also feel that it is poor. John Cena took on Mark Henry. Mark Henry pretty much got an ass whooping in this match. We had a nice, impressive attitude adjustment from John Cena, which concluded with The Rock coming out and giving Mark Henry a NBA Jam-style rock bottom. This was ridiculously huge, only because I've never seen Mark Henry get taken up so high for a rock bottom. I don't know if it's because The Rock is doing a better cycle of steroids or because Mark Henry jumped higher than usual because he's not as heavy. Who the fuck knows, but it was definitely impressive. It was quick to the point, and they didn't drag it out like the the past week. The Miz took on Sheamus. He cut a little opening match promo. If anybody thought that Sheamus was not going to win this match, you guys haven't been watching wrestling as long as I have because it was basically a not-so-glorified squash, in my opinion. We get a Randy Orton interview. He comes out, does his typical bland, boring, methodical promo. The only thing I did like was him. They took it back to almost Mean Gene Okerlund style with them standing at the top of the ramp doing the interviews, which worked a lot better. It kind of took the focus away from the ring, allowed 
for just a quick entrance. You didn't have to wait for Randy Orton to fucking slither his way out for a 20-minute entrance. It was quick and to the point. Uh, Howdy Doody, Jack Swagger, Dolph Ziggler took on Kofi and R-Truth. They're really trying hard to build Kofi and R-Truth as a tag team. Personally, I continue to stand by R-Truth and JTG as a tag team and put Kofi in the mid-card, but that's just me. Swagger and Ziggler won. Boom, let's close it out with the geriatric promos to close it out. A lot of shit talking from all three. Triple H pretty much gives Undertaker the business. Taker comes back, says that he always felt that Shawn Michaels was better. Blah, 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 blah. I'm old. My hip hurts. Oh, shit. Where are my vitamins? Who cares? I hate main event promos. I hate them utterly. I really do. Only because they don't add anything more to the episodes of Raw. All they do is just eat up time and don't move the story along. We get it. The Undertaker's bald. Shawn Michaels got hair plugs. Triple H has scar tissue and a big-ass nose. They all don't like each other. It's going down to hell in the cell. We don't need a fucking 20-minute promo to tell us that. Seriously. It's absurd. Now, in breaking tradition, I am actually going to talk about TNA this week. Usually... I would say that TNA is a wet bag of hair sitting on a sidewalk, and I'd rather kick it out of the way than even touch it. But it seems that with the departure of Vince Russo, things have improved a bit. And this particular card, which was their Victory Road pay-per-view, was not complete dog shit. Opening the card, we had a number one contenders match with James Storm and a very in-shape Bully Ray. It seems that Bully Ray has put down the donuts and picked up the weights. He looks in really good shape now. It's funny because I haven't watched TNA in a while, and when I turned it on, I'm like, holy shit, Bully Ray is not a fat tub of shit anymore. What happened? But I guess it's part of the whole process of building Bully Ray into a, a, a main event caliber wrestler. I don't know how good of an idea that is, but very enjoyable match. Quick and to the point, James Storm pretty much jobbed out Bully Ray with the super kick, the last call super kick for the quick pin. If the match was even a minute and a half, it was a stretch, but it was just a solid opener to throw a curveball to Bully Ray since everybody thought that he was going to run through James Storm. Next up, we had a very enjoyable X Division title match with Austin Aries and Zima Ion, who I really think is really overrated. I think Austin Aries is fantastic, but Zima Ion, I don't know what it is about him. I just don't fucking like the dude. He looks like one of the wolf kids from fucking Twilight, but... It was an enjoyable match. Austin Aries had a fantastic brain buster and submission to close it out. Definitely not terrible. Tag team title match. Samoa Joe and Magnus. Yes, Samoa Joe and Magnus have the belts. Taking on Crimson and Matt Morgan. Of course, we got the dysfunctional tag partners, which ended with Crimson pretty much turning on Morgan. Joe and Magnus retain. Of course, for those that haven't seen TNA in a while, it seems that Crimson is on an undefeated streak. If I remember correctly, the last time I stopped watching, he still was undefeated. I guess they're still beating that horse. I don't know why. I think Matt Morgan is a solid main eventer. Crimson, eh, I think his mic work needs improvement. He has a, a, a great look and a decent entrance, but his, his wrestling still leaves a little bit to be desired. It looks a little too robotic. Matt Morgan moves well for a dude that's like almost seven feet tall. He's not lumbering around like Kevin Nash. He's actually performing well. So 
the dysfunctional tag team, of course, is going to culminate now with a feud between Crimson and Morgan. I'm guessing that Crimson is playing the heel in this feud, but we shall see what happens. We had an open challenge for the TV title with Robbie E. Yes, Robbie E. is still your TV champion. He took on the returning Devon, which ended with Devon winning the TV title. I really could have given less of a fuck about this match. Your knockouts title match had Gail Kim and Madison Rain. I don't understand why they continue to push Gail Kim. She She's enjoyable to watch, but her wrestling is still very WWE. She's not really bringing much innovation to the table. I honestly thought they were going to put the belt on Madison Rain. Sadly, that was not the case. We had a tag match next with AJ and everybody's favorite returning asshole, Mr. Anderson, taking on Christopher Daniels and Kazarian in a very enjoyable match. A lot of anytime you get AJ, Christopher Daniels, and Kazarian in any match, it's always going to be awesome. And this one delivered on all cylinders. Mr. Anderson definitely held his own in this match. And AJ and Anderson win with a Styles Clash on Kazarian to close things out. Everyone's a favorite Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Angle, took on everyone's favorite drug addict, Jeff Hardy, in a very competitive match. Jeff Hardy seems to have cleaned himself up well with the rehab, and um, he's handling himself good in the match. He looked really good. Um, Awesome swanton bomb that he delivered on Kurt Angle, which I thought pretty much killed him dead, but Kurt Angle wins with shenanigans by grabbing the ropes. Your title match, well, allegedly non-title match, I really am glad that they made it non-title, was a no-holds-barred match between Sting and Bobby Roode, which ended with Bobby Roode winning, and the post-match antics from Bobby Roode at Dixie Carter were very well done, to the point where he told her to kiss his ass, or let me put let me put it in the way he said it exactly, he pretty much said, kiss my ass, bitch, and... Um, I think this this was the turning point for Bobby Roode's character. I think that the heel turn was good, but it just didn't feel 100% solidified. If you want to turn somebody heel, you have to have them do something huge, and nothing makes it better than taking the, the owner of your company and pretty much telling her to kiss your ass and beating Sting to death with a chair. The only thing that bothered me was the lack of continuity with James Storm, who is Bobby Roode's opponent, not coming out to save Dixie Carter or Sting and continue that aspect of their feud. Guess TNA hasn't worked out all the bolts yet. Well, they haven't worked out all the bugs yet, but they're slowly putting themselves back together to make themselves watchable. Simple as that. Let's get into some other wrestling news. Evan Bourne's suspension ended this past Saturday, but he was not on Raw and has not been booked for SmackDown either. Who knows what this means, but when Bourne returns, he will be subject to stringent drug testing with a minimum of 12 tests in a year. If he has a third violation, of course, he will be subject to termination, and according to the wellness policy, he would not be able to return to the WWE for at least a year. And when and if and if and when he returns after that year, he would have to pass a pre-contract drug test, and he would continue to undergo mandatory testing if that were the case. Evan Bourne is not the only superstar with two wellness strikes. For those of you that don't remember, Booker T also has two wellness strikes against him, as does William Regal. So keep on the lookout for that. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do with Evan Bourne, considering that he's super talented. Unfortunately, being a pothead does not help his case. 
TNA got dealt a blow of a different kind this week with um, their DVD partner, Navare Corporation, announcing that they are getting out of the DVD distribution business. Now, what does this mean for those of you that actually buy TNA DVDs, which I'm sure is not many of you? It means that TNA does not have a distributor to put their DVDs in major retailers, such as Walmart or Best Buy or Target, for that matter. Now, TNA is stuck selling their DVDs only through their website. As of right now, though, they are searching for a new partner, and hopefully they will be able to resolve this sooner rather than later. Here's the problem with this. DVD revenue, and especially with with TNA, they really need to bring it forward and start putting out HD and Blu-ray stuff. They're on HD pay-per-view. They're on Spike TV, which is an HD They really should bring it up a bit and start doing it. WWE is already putting out Blu-rays for a lot of their stuff, which can be crammed with more exclusives, more stuff, and you give people incentive to buy the Blu-ray versions in HD. Unfortunately, seems TNA has not worked out the bugs in terms of distribution, but if you do want to pick up their DVDs, just head over to Shop TNA and you can make that happen. One of the things that I didn't talk about on Raw this week was a video package that was showed for a new debuting character called Lord Tensai. Now, a lot of people are asking themselves, oh, you know, who the fuck is Lord Tensai? Oh, shit, it's another guy that's going to debut at WrestleMania, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm going to play the role of spoiler here, and if you don't like it, fast forward. Lord Tensai has been in the WWE before. He was in the WWE... Excuse me, in the WWE previously... As Albert, one half of TNA with the late test, Andrew Martin, he later was rebranded and made part of Paul Heyman's stable under the name A-Train. His real name is Matt Bloom. He was released from the WWE shortly after his run with Heyman. I believe he was in the main, upper main card for a while, and then he got injured and got released. A-Train ended up going to Japan and wrestling under the moniker of Giant Bernard. He's had incredible success in Japan, gotten in great shape, um, really, really popular over there, actually. And as of right now, it seems that he will be debuting as as a henchman or enforcer for John Laurinaitis. And he will be possibly put into a main event program rumored to be with John Cena. Who knows if that's the case, but here's here's what I have to say. If he's debuting with as a henchman or bodyguard for John Laurinaitis, they pretty much spoiled the outcome for the WrestleMania GM match because we all know Johnny Ace is going to win. The only thing they'll probably do is make Teddy Long his assistant manager and leave it at that and have one brand, you know, one GM, both brands and finish putting the nail on the coffin that is the brand extension. Unfortunately, a lot of people are bitching because it's like, oh man, you're not bringing up your new guys, you're bringing back old guys. Albert, or if you want to call him A-Train, whatever, hasn't been in the ring for the WWE for a long time now. And frankly, if the guy went to Japan, a lot of these wrestlers that go to Japan become better performers. Simple as that. The strong style wrestling in Japan is a sight to behold. It makes your wrestlers better, it makes them more fluid, and it makes the wrestling look realistic. Sometimes you can see 
when the punches are pulled and the kicks aren't delivered effectively in Japan. That's not the way it works. Strong style all the way. I think Lord Tensai will do well here in the States. And if he is going to be a henchman for Johnny Ace, I really would find a way to introduce him that in, in such a way that will make a huge impact. I think that one of the things that we really haven't seen lately is somebody debut in such a devastating manner that everybody takes notice. I, I can say that the Nexus did the best job debuting as a faction by pretty much trashing the raw set. But since then, the debuts have been... Eh, lackluster to say the least. I think Awesome Kong had a really good debut, but we we see where that is currently. Now, big news that happened earlier this week that everybody was talking about, well, late last week, early this week, was that WWE allegedly was closing out FCW, or Florida Championship Wrestling. This is not true. The PW Insider reported that they have no plans of shutting down FCW. On the contrary, FCW will stay open, but it is rumored that they are working on a new developmental um, affiliate that will be up here in Connecticut. So what's going to happen is basically you got Florida Championship Wrestling that gets talent ready for the WWE. Then they're going to go to this new developmental territory, which is probably going to be in Stanford, which is pretty much going to be almost like a finishing school. What's going to happen is the the wrestlers that go to that territory will be prepared for their TV for their TV debut. This is something that Taz had done with his um, team Taz Dojo a while back, and I think it is essential for them to do this because what happens is these guys they work the minor leagues, they come up, they haven't become acclimated to the big crowd to work in the main event style, and. Adding this small finishing territory is actually something which will benefit the talent in the long run. Anybody who thought that FCW was closing, you'll be glad to know they're not. I don't know if they're going to fold the talent into NXT. That's another thing I've heard. But adding a second developmental territory up here in Connecticut would be really, really beneficial. Especially if it's going to be a finishing school to be almost a middle ground for these guys. We'll see what happens from there. A lot of people have been saying that Triple H, you know, addressed the comments on WWE.com because he was very frustrated and and actually very upset that people thought that the territory was closing down. In some other news, I mentioned last week that the No Way Out pay-per-view was going to be returning. It is going to be a themed pay-per-view centering around steel cage matches for all the main events. So there you have it, No Way Out all cage matches. With WrestleMania 28 pretty much, I don't know, two weeks away, there there are... Excuse me. I don't know why the fuck I'm fumbling so many sentences. There are already rumors that they are building up for WrestleMania 29 as soon as the Raw after WrestleMania 28. WWE officials are expecting to build that show with John Cena, The Rock, Steve Austin, and The Undertaker as the top guys to build the show around. Stone Cold hasn't committed to any matches as far as as anybody knows, but it should be very interesting to see what they do with Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think he definitely has one more match in him, and if he does, WrestleMania would be a great way to close it out. The Undertaker performing, I mean, I really thought he was going to go 20-0. I guess they're not going to do that. There you have it. 
Last bit of wrestling news to close things out. The WWE draft this year is expected to be one of the bigger drafts for a lot of reasons. The One of the reasons is ratings. But what Vince is looking to do now is kind of balance out the talent for both shows. Especially now that Raw is a super show, you can basically show SmackDown talent on Raw. So, with that said, there really is no issue, like back in the day, of moving John Cena or Chris Jericho to SmackDown. On the contrary, they'll use Raw to build up major angles and then use SmackDown for the wrestling product. I mean, that pretty much has been the case thus far. Raw has all the angles and all the bullshit. SmackDown has the better wrestling. But we'll see how it unfolds post-WrestleMania. That that Raw after WrestleMania and the, the Raws after that will definitely be uh, great indicators of the direction of the company going forward. All right, that's going to wrap up wrestling news. We are going to go right into video game news. So let's get the ball rolling. Let's start off with this particular bit of news, which I'm sure Quark, one of our writers, as well as any other fighting game fans, are going to be very, very annoyed about, which we knew was going to happen, but hearing the hearing all the details now will definitely uh, ruffle a few feathers. Capcom Unity reported that future DLC for Street Fighter Cross Tekken has been priced and announced as follows. Alternate costumes for your characters in Street Fighter Cross Tekken will start being available April 3rd. Basically, the first costume pack will allow Street Fighter players to dress like Tekken fighters and vice versa. The costumes will cost 80 points each, or you'll be able to buy them for 1,040 Microsoft points, which is $13 overall. Next up. You're getting a free tournament update, followed by a free update that will add three new assist gem packs, as well as six new boost gem packs, which is going to add 60 60 gems to the entire selection pool. Lastly, of course, 12 new characters, which is going to infuriate a lot of people. These 12 characters are going to run you 1,600 Microsoft points, and you can expect that later this year, which is $20. Those of you that are buying the game for the Vita will get the 12 characters already. That means that a game that should have been $60 with all the characters is now going to cost you $80. Which is very, very, very upsetting. Not, not only that, but the worst part is you spent your 60 you spend your 20 maybe you spend your, your $13 for the costumes, that's $33, $93 right there $93 for this game which if we're smart we'll wait a year maybe a little longer and you know they're going to release Street Fighter Cross Tekken Champion Edition Turbo Edition whatever the fuck you want to call it and it's going to have all that stuff bundled in and it'll be 60 bucks it really is super frustrating because this is the kind of shit that really really irritates so many people in the gaming community because you're basically releasing games that are incomplete for the purpose of making more revenue. It fucking blows. Only because why do you need to pay for alternate costumes? They add nothing to the game. 
You could have made them unlockables if you beat the game with certain characters. If you want to add something different, then maybe add characters that are super brand new. Give us give us something else. Maybe you want to add... I don't know, I don't even... Let's say you want to put in Goken, you know, who's neat, who hasn't appeared in the game at all, and you want to charge whatever, three bucks, four bucks for him. That's fine. But 12 characters that are already in the Vita version to charge that much money... <sighs> Strider makes makes a valid point in the chat. Anna Williams, another character you can add. Armor King, another character you can add. This is the kind of shit I'm talking about. Kunimitsu, thank you again, Strider. On the contrary, you can make Anna Williams and, and Kunimitsu a tag team right there. Boom, you're done. What about Mike Hagar and, 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 and Sodom? That, that would work, too. You could put Mike Hagar in there. People wouldn't mind using Mike Hagar. Then you could use Hagar and Zangief together. Have a little fun with that. Maybe throw El, Fu- El Fuerte in there. Maybe have him and Hagar together. You can do so much with that, but instead, you'd rather nickel and dime people to death. You could throw Sean in there. You could throw, you know, you could throw Urian in there. You could throw Q in there if you want to grab some Street Fighter 3 guys. Um, you could throw Alex in there. It's it's really absurd, and if I continue to beat this up, it's just going to make me more frustrated. For those of you that are playing some of these EA games, they will be shutting down servers for these games as of April 13th. The following games will be having servers shut down during that period. Boom Blocks, Burnout Revenge on Xbox 360, EA Create, EA Sports, Sports Active 2.0, EA Sports Active NFL Training Camp, the Godfather 2, Need for Speed Pro Street, EA Sports MMA, Spare Parts, and The Saboteur. All of those will have their servers shut down as of April 13th. There you have it, folks. In some Xbox Live Arcade news, Dragon's Lair will be making its Xbox Live Arcade debut with Kinect controls. So be on the lookout for that later on this year. Another retro game debuting on Xbox Live Arcade, PSN, and WiiWare will be Frogger Hyper Edition. You're going to have all the classic play mechanics as well as new game modes as well, including Tile Capture, Battle Royal, Freak Out, and four-player matches as well. In some Nintendo Magazine France news, Epic Mickey 2 has been delivered, well, has been announced roughly via tweets that some people had published, and it will be launching on the 3DS also. It's gonna be, it has a subtitle listed as The Power of Illusion. It's also saying that a classic 2D game will be shown as well. As of right now, no one knows if it's going to be World of Illusion or Castle of Illusion from previous Mickey Mouse games, but we'll be on the lookout for that in the coming weeks. In other notes, though, Epic Mickey 2 for consoles has been announced. It's called Epic Mickey 2 The Power of 2. It's going to be available for the 360, PS3, and the Wii. You're going to be able to use drop-in, drop-out co-op with Mickey Mouse and Oswald the Rabbit. When a second player isn't there, Oswald the Rabbit will be AI-controlled. The game will include full voice acting, and it's also going to be using uh, the voice acting to make the game more of a musical. So be on the lookout for that. Warren Spector confirmed that this is going to be full co-op and next-gen. It's going to be something that you'll be seeing a lot of in this new game. 
Epic Mickey was a game that I honestly thought was very well done and really suffered because it did not appear on next generation consoles such as the PS3 or the 360 that would have pushed the game to new levels graphically. Unfortunately, it turns out that is not the case, but this new release will be debuting on the 360, the PS3, and the Wii. There's no release date as of yet, but as soon as I'll get as soon as I get one, I'll make sure to publish it on the fan page or on the site. In I was very uninformed about this next bit of news. I got to throw a shout out to Quark for giving me the skinny on this, but it involves what's been going on with Mass Effect 3. A lot of you that have been playing Mass Effect 3 have been feeling let down due to the ending. Some of you are pissed off that the ending was too was too uh, was was very broad. Some of you felt that the ending was a cop out on behalf of BioWare. Others felt that the ending could have just been done better. There's one guy that even went as far as to sue BioWare because of the ending, which is completely fucking stupid. But Ray Muz- uh I guess his name is Musica. Ray Musica from BioWare has gone on record as saying that they're looking at ways to solve the gamers' complaints. Casey Hudson and the team are hard at work on a number of game content initiatives that will help answer the questions, providing more clarity for those seeking out further closure to their journey. You'll hear more on this in April. He added that your journey in the Mass Effect universe can and will continue. So there you have it, folks. They're either going to change the endings, elaborate on the endings, or probably just give you new ones. Here's the funny thing. And, and this, this is a trip down memory lane for some of us, but when you beat games like Mario Brothers, Double Dragon, things like that, you got some of the most basic, simple endings. So in some cases, and depending on the game, you didn't even get an ending. You got a high score and creator credits, and that was it. Game over. Start again. The expectation of enjoying a game comes more so from the journey than from the ending. For people that are invested in Mass Effect, I can understand the frustrations. And, you know, Captain Quark clarified that to me. And he broke down some of the stuff that I really had no understanding of. So props to Quark for that. Because seriously, I don't fuck with Mass Effect. I'll be 100% honest. And the amount of people that were angry, I just really didn't understand why. But they, they have valid gripes. But on the flip side, like I said... A lot of people play these games and they're meant to be played just for the sake of the journey and not so much for the ending. If you enjoyed playing the game from start to finish and were a little let down by the ending, fuck it. Most times you just enjoyed playing the game. We know this from numerous other titles that we've played, which are extremely enjoyable and the endings left a lot to be desired, either because they were teasers for a second game or just weren't good. Simple as that. But I gotta give props to BioWare for stepping up and handling their business. So we'll see what happens. I'm sure Quark, Blade, and the rest of the Mass Effect universe that's currently out there playing this game will be relieved if it's done right. Simple as that. Microsoft will be releasing another group of games for Arcade Next, which is its newest promotion. That's going to be starting in April, and you're going to be getting Trials Evolution on April 18th, Blood Forge on April 25th, Fable Heroes on May 2nd, and Minecraft Xbox 360 Edition on May 9th. All games will cost 1,200 Microsoft points, with the exception of Fable Heroes, which is 800 points, and Minecraft, which is 1,600 points. They will also feature the new 400 gamer score limit. 
So be on the lookout. Be on the lookout for that as well. And last but not least, I know a ton of you are playing Draw Something on all your devices. Um, OMG Pop, which were the creators of Draw Something, were acquired by Zynga. So there you have it. It seems that Zynga bought OMG Pop for $200 million. There it is, folks. You create a game. You have people draw. It makes a ton of press. And your company gets bought for $200 million. Not a bad way to go. I think that's it. I don't have any other game news. I thought I had something else to add, but that's pretty much it. I'm going to take another commercial break. When we get back, movie news. Right after this. I wonder what's on tonight, even. Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you save me? This is the deal of the century, people. I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight, tumbling with tumbleweed? Tuesday nights at 10 p.m., blogtalkradio.com, Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? to play that the Muppets came out on Blu-ray come on it was a no-brainer all right let's open things up with this bit of movie news it seems that Rocky and Bullwinkle were not the only film to get the big screen treatment it seems that Mr. Peabody there you have it Mr. Peabody and Sherman will be coming to the big screen as well courtesy of DreamWorks Ty Burrell is replacing Robert Downey Jr. as the voice of Mr. Peabody and Max Charles, who plays young Peter Parker in The Amazing Spider-Man, will be the voice of Sherman. So there you have it, folks. Not just Rocky and Bullwinkle, but Mr. Peabody and Sherman are coming to the silver screen. Now here's a bit of what-the-fuck movie news, which you can also classify as what-the-fuck TV news. ABC Family is bringing back the Home Alone franchise. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Home Alone 5 will air during the 25 Days of Christmas lineup. That's 10 years after the most recent film in the series, which was Home Alone 4, Taking Back the House. I don't understand how they count, how they got Malcolm McDowell to do this movie, but yes, Malcolm McDowell is in it, as is Debbie Mazar, Ed Asner, Eddie Steeples, and Kristen Martin. So it seems that this new plot synopsis for this film has nothing to do with Kevin McAllister. It's only Home Alone in title. Yes, ladies and gents, Home Alone 5. Dark Helmet is shocked. And yes, indeed, there was a fourth. Anyway, the plot synopsis for this follows a boy named Finn who is terrified to learn that his family is relocating from sunny California to Maine and the scariest house he has ever seen. Convinced that his new house is haunted, Finn sets up a series of elaborate traps to catch the ghosts in action. 
left home alone with his sister while their parents are stranded across town. Finn tra- Finn's traps catch a new target, a group of thieves played by Malcolm McDowell, Debbie Mazar, and Eddie Steeples who have targeted Finn's house for robbery. There you have it, folks. Home Alone 5. I'm, uh, Home Alone 5 is going to be exactly what you would think, but you know what? It's a TV movie, so if it completely sucks, at least you're not paying for it. In some other sequel news, 300's sequel, The Battle of Artemisia, will see the return of Rodrigo Santoro, who played Xerxes in the previous 300 film. A superhero of hype confirmed that earlier today. Santoro joins Ava Green, Sullivan Stapleton, and Jamie Blakely in this new film, which is going to have the Greek focus on the Greek general uh, Themistocles, who fought the Persian invaders during the same time that the Battle of Thermopylae went on in the first film. So there you have it, folks. 300, Battle of Artemisia. Rodrigo Santoro is returning as Xerxes. Box office totals. 21 Jump Street, shockingly, in my opinion, was number one. A lot of people are telling me it's funny. I refuse to give Jonah Hill 1250 of my money. I'll watch it at some point, but $35 million. The Lorax was $22.8 million. John Carter, $13.5 million. Project X, $4 million. A Thousand Words, three point eight. Act of Valor, $3.7 million. Safe House, $2.8 million. Journey to the Mysterious Island, $2.5 million. Casa de mi Padre, $2.2 million. And This Means War, $2.1. Dr. Seuss's The Lorax has made $158.4 million total. 21 Jump Street, $35 million out of the gate. Everybody says that it's super enjoyable, but that a lot of the sight gags get old. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But I will tell you that they are already working on a sequel for 21 Jump Street. So take that for what it's worth. Those of you that are fans of John Carter, I know Slick is one of them. You'll be sad to know that that Disney expects to take a $200 million hit on John Carter. Deadline reports that the studio revealed the news earlier this week. It's made $184 million worldwide, but had an estimated budget of $250 million not including money spent on advertising. The loss means that the studio division will have an overall operating loss of 80 to $120 million for the second fiscal quarter. This also puts the possibility of a sequel for John Carter severely in danger. Now, this was the big story I wanted to talk about for this week's movie news, and that is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot, which many of you have heard Michael Bay is involved in. If any of you read the article I posted yesterday about uh, cartoons from my childhood that I'd like to see made into big screen features, you'll understand it further, but I will elaborate. Michael Bay wants to change the origin of the Turtles and no longer make them mutants, but instead make them aliens. That is correct. Do not adjust your radio dial. Aliens. We don't have ninja mutant turtles. We're going to have ninja alien turtles. The statement Michael Bay released to sell that is as follows. Michael Bay wants to go on, well, he went on record with this statement. When you see this movie, kids are going to believe one day that these turtles actually do exist when we're done with this movie. 
These turtles are going to be from an alien race, and they're going to be tough, edgy, funny, and completely lovable. There you have it. As of right now, it's rumored to be coming out December 25th, 2013. When that statement got released to the world, including Twitter, Facebook, and countless other places, the pouring of negative comment, the, the outpour of negative commentary was ridiculous. I kid you not. People, people across the board were super pissed. I can't blame them. When, when you hear the name alone says it, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Not Teenage Mutant Alien Turtles. Ninjas. Got it? Good. But clearly, that's not the case. The worst part of it all, in my opinion, is that I can understand some liberties being taken for whatever reason, whether you want to do it for comedic purposes or whether you want to do it just to flesh out the story. But this is extremely out of left field. Since hearing all the negative since since hearing all the negative responses, Michael Bay said the following: Fans need to take a breath and chill. That's what he said. They have not read the script. Our team is working closely with one of the original creators of the Ninja Turtles to help expand and give a more complex backstory. Relax. We are including everything that made you become fans in the first place. We're just building a richer world. I think that this sums up everybody's reaction to the to to the entire fiasco. Oh my god! Ah, 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 ah. Oh, that's better. Ah, 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 ah. Here you go! I think that about sums it up, right? Most of you will agree. Here's the thing that gets me. When you look at all these films, Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, Transformers, G.I. Joe, there have been changes. I understand that. It's been done, and some of the changes work well, some of them don't. But at the end of the day, the overall representation of the source material was slightly intact, at least a smidgen, in some cases a lot, depending on the films. If Slick were here, if Slick were on air, he would tell you that Transformers definitely was well beyond the source material. Well beyond it. It didn't even scratch it the way it should have. If I want to talk about G.I. Joe, I will say that the source material was not acknowledged the way it should have. That's fine. We go down the list, we talk about Spider-Man, organic web shooters. That's all I have to say. Here's the, here's the thing that happens. Hollywood looks at these films and they find ways to give them a unique spin. That's fine. But sometimes they sacrifice way too much to be fucking different. If you want to make the turtles not mutants and make them aliens, then it's not... The same thing. The name mutant ties in there. 
Now, if you want to say that they're mutants because people view them as such, even though they're aliens, it's going to be a hard sell. The funny thing about the Ninja Turtles fan base is that it is very deep. If you've read Ninja Turtles comic books, and I mean the legit black and white Eastman and Laird books, you'll know that they were ultra-violent and and just super brutal. And the characters, you were able to gel with them because they they had problems. There was angst among the brothers. Raphael and Leonardo just dis- disliked each other. If you watch the CGI Ninja Turtle films that came out not too long ago, you'll see that they actually touched on that from the source material. That shit worked. It worked because... Sure, it was a little different. Yeah, April O'Neil becoming a fucking ninja, fighting with Casey Jones, eh, a little out of left field, but I can deal. But completely changing the identity of the source material is, is just a recipe for disaster in my book. Simple as that. Michael Bay can spin it a thousand ways, and until it comes on screen and people see it for themselves, the initial response will continue to be negative. I'm sorry, it will. And you can call it nerd rage or, or or anger or whatever. I call it the fact that a lot of people that really love certain aspects of their childhood and certain characters are going to fight hard to make sure that those characters are given proper treatment. It's no different than people that like Spider-Man complaining about the new costume in The Amazing Spider-Man. It's no different than people liking Wolverine and complaining that Wolverine was a complete bitch in X-Men Origins. It's no different than people that like wanted asking themselves why they made Wesley such a bitch and why Fox was played by Angelina Jolie. I can go down this list for the entire show. I hear you. Your gripes are justified. But unfortunately, Hollywood wants to be so different and depart into such a left field that they're willing to sacrifice that for the sake of box office revenue. Now, if you want to make your voices heard, you're not, you don't like the way that Michael Bay does the film, you're not a fan of what he's done to the film, don't watch it. Because I'll tell you, complaining about it on the internet is about the, the equivalent of yelling at fucking oxygen. It's not going to happen. You can yell at air, you can yell at oxygen in a fucking room, it doesn't work. Hey, look, this oxygen tank is leaking. Get back in there, motherfucker! I don't want to die. Nope. Doesn't work. Simple as that. If you don't like it, don't give it your money. Otherwise, we will continue to see it. That's all. Those of you that are fans of The Expendables will be happy to know that PG-13 is not happening. Sylvester Stallone confirmed that it will be R-rated. So there you have it. Originally, the the PG-13 rating was due to co-star Chuck Norris. Due to the fact that he was not a fan of swearing. But, unfortunately, it, they're saying that the film has to have an R rating due to the excessive violence. Clearly, they could have stuck to the PG-13 rating, but the violence was going to make it R. So, definitely, dropping an F-bomb, no problems now. Expect to hear fuck, bitch, cunt rag, douchebag, fuck bucket, cock monkey, knob swallower. You know, all those lovable things you can hear in Expendables 2. I doubt they're going to say all that, but fuck it. That's what I think they're going to say. I think that Stallone calling Chuck Norris a cock knobbler would be hilarious, but that's just me. 
couple of weeks back, I'd say maybe a month or so back, I talked about uh, Noah's Ark getting the big screen treatment. It seems that Darren Aronofsky has found his Noah, played by the one and only Russell Crowe. Originally, Christian Bale was going to play Noah, but they decided instead to go with Russell Crowe. It's going to be one of the many biblical films, including Steven Spielberg's film about Moses, that will be making, making its way to the silver screen. So there you go. Maximus is playing Noah. I don't know how that's going to work, but I can tell you this. Christian Bale playing Noah. I just, I just visualized Christian Bale in a Batman voice telling the animals to get on the boat. Get on the boat. You'll be safe, swear to me. That, that, that's all I visualize. I just visualize Bale in a Batman mask and a robe yelling at a camel to get on a boat. Uh, here's the thing. I don't mind biblical films, but the problem with biblical films is always the fact that those that are hardcore religious are just going to go ape shit about it. When The Passion of Christ came out, I remember wanting to see it. I didn't want to see it because of, you know, my Catholic beliefs, which are non-existent, but I wanted to see it because I wanted to see a vision of what happened to Jesus depicted in a legit way. Seriously, this is the thing that, that a lot of biblical films don't touch upon. If you read the Bible, whether it's, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, shit was fucked up. People got crucified. Uh, there was adultery, there were orgies, there was brothers killing brothers, fathers killing sons. You guys know the deal. Biblical times were fucked up. Super fucked up. And one of the things I always felt with films that touched upon biblical subject matter were the fact that they always wanted to make them family-friendly affairs, which is fine if you want to do that, but you have to acknowledge that shit was fucked up. When you look at one of my favorites, the Ten Commandments, it's not even the inner Catholic in me that thinks the Ten Commandments is awesome because it talks about the Ten Commandments. I think it was just awesome because it depicted shit being fucked up. Hebrews getting whipped, chariot races, violence, um, an orgy where nobody got naked, but that's okay. Um, the, you know, just the way shit was, which I think works. Same thing with Passion of the Christ. I didn't want to go see Passion of the Christ because I was a Catholic. I wanted to see Passion of the Christ because I wanted to see how they would depict the story in its most brutal of forms. Whenever you watch some of these old movies like The Greatest Story Ever Told or... What was the other one? I think it was King of Kings. Whenever they show any scenes involving like Christ getting crucified and all that, they never show you that stuff. They just want to tell you... Oh, this guy magically got crucified, died, and came back. And that's fine. You know, again, I'm not going to make this about beliefs or about religion. But when you watch Passion of the Christ, you, you really were like, wow. If this is the way it went down, it was really fucked up. Like, you, you connected with the film on another level. Now, doing a film like Noah's Ark, there's no way you can make this ultra-violent or, or depicting, de, you know, depicting the time period in, in, in its truest form, because at the end of the day, it's very, it's very safe. It's like, oh, God's going to flood the earth. 
Okay, animals, get on this boat. But, you know, magically don't kill each other. Hey, look, the lions are getting on their ark with the zebras that they fucking eat. Hey, look, the cats are getting on the boat with the mice. Gee, cats kill mice, don't they? Like, 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 when you look at Noah's Ark, and again, um, this isn't a question of faith, it's just a question of the story itself. How are you going to group two of every animal on a boat and they magically don't kill each other? This isn't even a religious question or a theological question, this is just fact. If I put lions on a boat with bison and deer and zebras, somebody's going to be lunch on a fucking menu. That's all. I'm not, I'm not being, I'm, like I said, this isn't a, a theological discussion and it's not about religious views. It's just about like telling the story, like Jonah and the whale. A guy gets eaten by a whale, lives inside of it, etc., etc., etc. Last time I checked, if you get eaten by a whale or if a midget gets swallowed by a fat person, you die. Simple as that. That, hey, I got an idea. Hollywood loves being different. Let's do the story of Jonah and the whale, where Jonah is a midget that gets eaten by a fat person and has to live inside that fat person to survive. Let's do that. That's going to be my new interpretation of Jonah and the whale. It's going to be a fat person that swallows a midget. How's it going to work? I don't know, but it'll work. How about this? How about do Noah's Ark with dinosaurs? Where Noah travels back in time to prevent the dinosaur apocalypse and he protects all the dinosaurs by putting them in his giant ark, which is really a spaceship. And then we get the visual that we've all seen on t-shirts of Jesus riding a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Let's do that. I figured if we do that, we can sell a ton of shirts and make a fuckload of money. No? No, how about David versus Goliath with Warwick Davis as David and Michael Clark Duncan as Goliath and Bruce Willis plays God? No? See, see what I mean? Like, like when you look at films based on the Bible, that's the kind of shit that gets talked about. Seriously. That, that's my issue with, with, with theological films. Here's, here's the worst part. Aronofsky dropped out of filming Wolverine and decided to do Noah's Ark. Not to say that Noah's Ark isn't going to make money, but Noah's Ark, Wolverine, put him on the scale. Do I want to see a guy complaining about building a boat and getting animals on it, or do I want to see Wolverine fucking up ninjas? Now, if you tell me that Noah has adamantium claws and kills ninjas while putting animals on the boat, maybe I'll see it. Instead, you drop out of one film, which is guaranteed money, to get into a film with Russell Crowe, which Russell Crowe's been, as of late, hit and miss with his films. We got Robin Hood, which was eh. Then we got other films that he's done, which were substantially better. I, I, I enjoyed Robin Hood for what it was, but I just felt that it was too much... Um, it was too much gladiator with bow and arrow. Like, that, that's kind of the way it went. I'm looking forward to seeing him in The Master of the Iron Fist, but that's only because it's a martial arts film. You got Riza in there, Kung Lee, Batista. Uh, th there's going to be some, some serious chop-socky action, and that's the kind of shit I like to see, but... 
I don't know. I don't know about this Noah's Ark situation. I really don't. And that's nothing because Steven Spielberg is doing a film about Moses. And again, if you don't depict the source material, it, it, pretty much I want you to take the Ten Commandments and bring it into this day and age. Like, I want to see people getting whipped and people getting beaten like the way it was supposed to be told. Not not for my own personal enjoyment, but just the way it was supposed to be told. That's it. That's all I'm saying. All right, guys, that actually is going to wrap up the show for this week. I just realized that the show went 90 minutes. It's 90 minutes seems to have been the sweet spot for the last couple of weeks. So, with that said... You've just heard My Take Radio episode 132 for Thursday, March 22nd, 2012. If you want to leave feedback, you want to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, or you just want to complain, 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR is our feedback number. If you don't want your message played on air, please make sure to specify that in the message. If you want to email MTR, you can email me, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. Again, questions, concerns, you'd like to be a guest or advertise with MTR. If you are interested in advertising, you can email me directly, or you can click the advertise link on mytakeradio.com, and you can get our prices there. If you're interested in advertising for the on-air portion of the show instead of the site, you can also email me at mtrhost or use the advertise tab on the site. Those of you that have visited MTR recently, you'll see there are ads there for WWE Shop Zone, the UFC Store, and Busted Tees. I can also say that we are now all going to be advertising for HBO, Best Buy, hopefully within the next couple of days, and of course Amazon, who we are a advertiser for as well. If you want to help MTR out and you do your shopping on Amazon, do it through the MTR Affiliate Store helps out MTR, and of course, you'll get the same reliable service you've come to expect from Amazon. MTR is on various social networks. You can follow us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio. You can look for us on MySpace, which, why would you? Become a fan on Facebook, help us reach 3,000 fans, and of course, if you got questions, you can also ask them on Formspring, formspring.me forward slash MyTakeRadio. Fucking around with Google+, Plus. Add us to your circle. Just look for My Take Radio on Google+. Plus. Did a hangout a couple of weeks back with watching Monday Night Raw. And I'm probably going to try and do another one in the coming weeks. So if you are interested in being a part of that, look for us on Google+. Plus. Make sure to download the My Take Radio app. It's only $1.99 via iTunes or the Android Marketplace. You'll get access to 96K stereo episodes of My Take Radio. In addition to that, you'll get exclusive content, including My Take Radio Beyond the Mic and My Take Radio Behind the Mic. Also, we'll be adding new episodes of the Minority Film Report, wallpapers, and a ton of other cool stuff as well. Lastly, if you're cheap, you can still stream episodes of MTR via Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, you can look for us on iTunes, which if you do get the shows from iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We'd really appreciate it. Look for us on the Zoom Marketplace, Miro, Blueberry, and any of your other pod-catching websites. That's going to be it, folks. I think that we are just going to close out with the usual. I think the outro music for this week, I think we got to take it back a little bit. And we're going to go with Super Mario Brothers 3 Pipes, available in ocremix.org.